Thank you, Eli, and the worship team. What a great time this morning of worship. Um, thank you for your loud singing and enthusiastic. It's great to be with you this morning. I'm Pastor Brent. Normally, I'm over at um, Faith East, but this morning I have the privilege of ministering to you, so thank you for the opportunity to do that. It's always good to be here at Faith Church North. Well, Faith Church family, I know I am not a priest, or you are not a priest to whom I confess, but this morning I do want to confess something. I want to confess a character defect growing up that uh, took me away from significant meaning and purpose in life, and here's what it is. I confess to you that I, I was not a servant growing up, and I believe that the area in which my lack of being a servant showed the most was in relationship to my dad in his pharmacy. This month, in fact, about this week, marks the ninth year since my dad's death. And here are two pictures of my dad. First one, that was in his studly prime in a, uh, when he was a little bit younger, is him answering never-ending phone calls at his pharmacy, taking prescription orders. And the second one is a picture of dad in, in his more seasoned years of life. Also, 45 years ago this month, when I was 10 years old in 1978, my dad bought a community fixture in Lawton, Oklahoma, known as Earl Drug. Look at that picture on the left. Look at those cars. I mean, like, how old is that picture right there? Well, that building, <clears throat> that specific building on the left burned down, and on the same exact corner, um, Earl Drug and the shopping center there was rebuilt at the corner of... 4th Street and C Avenue, 4th Street. When you think about the way cities were laid out, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Street and ABC Street, I mean, this was in the heart of downtown Lawton, Oklahoma. When I was preparing for my dad's funeral nine years ago, I heard from all of those um, that my dad had served through Earl Drug. I actually realized how impactful my dad had been on others as I heard their stories and I painfully realized how I squandered many opportunities to serve my dad in his mission. You see, the gospel had been working in my dad to create a heart for taking care of people in need. Earl Drug had a great reputation for astounding customer care. Earl Drug also had a reputation for some of the best burgers and soda fountain drinks in town. You know, before there was a Five Guys or a Smash Brothers, there was Earl Drug, and you hadn't had hamburgers until you had one of theirs. However, my dad was not content in serving people burgers and the best cherry limeades. Discouraged with what he observed among the patient care of ostomy and colostomy patients, he transformed Earl Drug into a leader in home health care products at that time. You know, you may not be familiar with it, but ostomy or colostomy surgeries left individuals vulnerable and almost hopeless many times with part of their intestines hanging out of their bodies. And dad wanted to help those to return some of their dignity. So he transformed the back end of the store from a hamburger joint into a place where he could personally coach these patients in dealing with their conditions and provide them with needed products. Earl Drug was the first of his kind in southwest Oklahoma. And he also did this. He led pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical stores in southwest Oklahoma to implement computerized system. I know we're so familiar with computers today, but do you recognize there was a time before there were any computers? Some of you do. Those older gray-haired folks recognize that there's a time for that. But I can remember the very first 
large size computer that my dad had in his store. It was the size of a washing machine, if you can believe that. And I know we carry computers on our cell phones now in our back pocket, but then it was not so. Well, here's where my confession comes in. From the moment I could drive, I worked five days a week after school from about 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. and all day Saturday. I was my dad's delivery boy and stock boy. And I certainly did my delivery boy job and my stock boy job, but here's what I didn't do. I certainly did not take interest in asking my dad about how I could help him with the health care business. You know, I was too busy lamenting the fact that I didn't have hamburgers and french fries anymore in the back of the store while he was trying to serve others well. Also, I mentioned I worked from 3 o'clock to 7 o'clock. And inevitably, on one of those days where I was done with my work, and I could usually be done with my work by about 6.30, and that means from 6.30 to 7, I got paid for doing nothing except looking at the magazines at the front section of my dad's store. And a little old lady would call in about 6.50 p.m. and ask, p.m. And ask for a delivery. Remember, I was the delivery boy. She would ask for like, Russell Stover chocolates to be delivered at 6.50 p.m. I'm, I'm thinking, seriously, you couldn't have called earlier? You're interrupting my magazine reading. <laughs> you can see my heart's out. I was not too much of a servant for my dad. Um, I did not ask my dad how I could come alongside of him to learn all aspects of the business to help my dad accomplish his larger mission. And he had a good mission. He was there to help others. I've given this quote before. I'm going to give it to you again. I'll probably use it again in the future as well. But Thomas Howard, Howard, in his book called The Night Far Spent, said this. The choreography of heaven is my life for yours. Let that sink in for just a moment. The choreography of heaven is my life for yours. The principle of heaven, the dance of heaven, um, God himself and the conscious beings that he created are to operate by that principle, my life for yours, my time for yours, my strength for you, my resources for you. And when the universe operates in that beautiful way, it's a harmonious dance and it's a beautiful thing. This actually includes God himself. You may say, Brent, I don't quite get this, but God himself Here's what I mean. The overall disposition of heaven where God dwells is marshalling resources, the resources of heaven, to serve humanity. You may say, Brent, I'm not sure about that. Well, just hang on for just a second. Well, not just a second, a little longer. By the end of the time we have together today, I'm going to show you that the resources of heaven come down to serve mankind. And in my teen years, I certainly did not understand the choreography of heaven, uh, the, the choreography of heaven, my life or yours. What's the choreography of hell, by the way? What's the opposite of that? The choreography of hell. My life for what? My life for me. That's what I was doing the dance of. Okay. So, with that in mind, please turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, which is on page 126, in the back section of the Bible, in the chair in front of you. This summer, we've been talking about hope for fruitful service. In the first part of the summer, we have focused on fruitful character from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. 
Now we've pivoted and are coming to the end of our second half of the summer to discussion to a discussion of the spiritual gifts, as Pastor Hutton mentioned. This morning we're talking about this finding. <clears throat> excuse me. This morning my my throat is a little bit raspy. Finding hope in the Spirit's gift of serving. Romans chapter twelve, starting in verse one. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, just a little bit of context here. Romans chapter 1 through 11, where Paul was talking about this great choreography of heaven, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to how Jesus Christ gave his life for us. Now, he's turning to the implications of that. Therefore, in view of God's mercies, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service for worship. My life for you, God. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, which operates by the principle of my life for me, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, as if the entire world and people exist to serve me, my life for me. But to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have had many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. Since we have many gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportions of his faith, if service in his serving, and that's what we're going to talk about today, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercies with cheerfulness. Here's how we're going to organize our thoughts today. Two questions. Two questions. Number one, what is the gift of serving? And number two, what can transform us into the choreography of heaven? That is a tall ask. My life for you. What can transform us into that kind of a servant? So first, what is the gift of serving? The meaning of the particular word used in this passage, diakonia. Diakonia. Say that for just a second. Say diakonia. Okay? It sounds like something I'll ask you in just a moment. Rendering of a specific assistance, aid, or support, or administrative function. Service as an attendant, an aid, or assistant. Oh my goodness, this sounds incredibly exciting and riveting, doesn't it? Like, give me that. I want to be in the spotlight. I want to be in the fame. I, uh, it doesn't sound quite like being in the spotlight, does it? I don't think any of us grew up and say, hey, when I grow up, I want to be an assistant to somebody. <laughs> you didn't grow up thinking that. Diakonia, what does that sound like? What does the word sound like that you actually said? What does that sound like in an English word that you know about? Diakonia, what does that sound like? Oh, it sounds like deacon. You got it right. So the office of deacon is one built upon the concept of serving and rendering a specific assistance to others, namely the body of Christ. Um, Not a prestigious job in a sense, not out there in the forefront, not in the spotlight getting all the fame. Also, I wanted to mention this. Many scholars, biblical theologians, understand that the gift of helps. Who grows up and says, hey, 
I want to be a helper when I grow up. Nobody actually says that. But that the gift of helps in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, refers to the same gift. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says this, And God is appointed in the church. Thank you, David. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then the gift of healings and helps. Administrations in various kinds of tongues. So the gift of service, many scholars think that helps, that gift of helps is also the same thing. Let's look at a few examples here in scriptures as we go along, starting with the origin of the office of deacon. You know, anything new and exciting is is um, anything new is exciting until there are problems. A new marriage is exciting until, you've heard the phrase, the honeymoon is over. Okay? Now, the newly found church in Acts chapter 2 was exciting for a while until there were problems. Some of the poor and racially different church widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food. And in Acts chapter 6, verses 2 through 5, we have where the office of deacon was first instituted, and our, our word serving, service, is found right there. So the 12 apostles summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. There it is, flashy, flamboyant, prominent role. No, that's not what it is. Serving the widows. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and women, whom we may put in charge of this task. This passage is where the office of deacon finds its origin. And what are the deacons, the servants, men who render assistance in the distribution here of food for the body of Christ? Second example here is in Acts chapter 19, verse 22. Now, after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem after he passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, After I have been there, I, also, I must also see Rome, and having sent into Macedonia two of those who, here's our word, ministered to him or served him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So Timothy and Erastus, if you look throughout Scripture, seem to be Paul's... <laughs> Not a flashy position, assistance. Uh, if you that seemed, they're always around Paul, helping him. Timothy, go there and do something. Erastus, go there and do something. And there are individuals through whom Paul can count on and trust to render aid to the new church. A third example also with Paul in the book of Philemon. Philemon was a Christian Roman who had a slave named Onesimus. Now, this is not the time. If if you're questioning about Christianity and slavery, this is not the time to debate about the differences between ancient slavery and what we know in our pretty sordid history with slavery here in the United States. That's a discussion for another day. The kinds of slavery were somewhat different. But Philemon, Christian Philemon, had a servant or a slave named Onesimus, and he ran away. And he actually found himself in the city of Rome, and I don't know how this happened, but he ultimately encountered the Apostle Paul, who was in prison. And as Paul does, he shares the gospel, and Onesimus um, came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. 
And Onesimus, who was trained as a servant for his master Philemon, may have been imparted the spiritual gift of serving at that moment in time for a greater purpose. And he became very, very useful to Paul, where Paul says something astounding about him. Notice this. It says, I appeal to you, Philemon, um, to you for my child Onesimus, who I have begotten in my imprisonment, meaning that Paul led him to the Lord, who formerly was useless to you as a servant because he wasn't a good servant to his master, just like Brent wasn't a very good servant to his dad at Earl Drug, I could have, I could have helped my dad so much more. Okay? Who was formerly useless to you, but now he's useful to both you and to me. I have sent him back to you. So Paul's sending him back to Philemon. That is sending my. Notice these words: sending my very heart, whom I wished I wanted to keep him with me, so that on your behalf he might serve me. There's our word in my imprisonment for the gospel. Now, one more example. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, another one with Paul. Paul apparently needed a lot of assistance in his work, but Paul has a lot of servants surrounding him. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia and that they have, notice these words, They have devoted themselves for ministry or service to the saints. Service to the saints. That you also be subject to such men and to everyone who helps in in their work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours therefore these men who work in the background provide aid. Um, help and assistance acknowledge such men. Notice these individuals that came alongside of Paul when he was in need and provided refreshment. Also notice that Paul said those who work behind the scenes, who render aid, most likely they hardly ever get recognition, acknowledge them. Okay, so let's pull, let's pull from these examples just a couple of characteristics of the gift of service here. So the gift of service probably involves something like this. Number one, supporting others in the church to promote the effective accomplishment of the church's mission. Number two, an inclination to regularly meet various needs, often very tangible and physical needs, you're not always going to see these folks behind the, serve, behind the scenes until you have a need and they might serve you. And number three, a satisfaction to work behind the scenes without accolades and personal gains. Now, Faith Church North, okay, think about the body of Christ that you have here. A good amount of people here today. Thank you for coming out today. As you think about the faith church body, faith church west, north, and east, can you think of individuals who fit that kind of description? Can you think of some? I know that I can. Now, here's a question. As you see them meeting needs, are you acknowledging them? Think about your Sunday school teachers or some of those that may not regularly get out here in the spotlight. Pastors get in the spotlight all the time, many times. There's a lot who serve behind the scenes. Are you acknowledging them and thanking them for, for what they're doing? 
But you say, Brent, they're just serving behind the scenes. That's no big deal. Yes, but the Apostle Paul, who has many servants himself in the sense of coming alongside of him, here's what the Apostle Paul says. On the contrary, it is much truer that members of the body which seem to be weaker, meaning serving behind the scene, not as prominent, are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor and our less presentable members to become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the church, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked so that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for another one. Those working behind the scenes in this kind of scenario, those we bestow more abundant honor. Why? This is the beautiful choreography of heaven laid out in front of us. My life for yours, coming alongside helping, coming alongside aiding us in our need. And you may say, Brent, I I don't see why it's so important to honor them. Well, then you haven't had many significant needs in life, and you haven't had a time where you really needed a helper, but there is a time that is coming. And you'll see how blessed it is for a helper to come alongside of you to serve and to help you in your time of need. Honor them. Now, Let's broaden this out just a bit. The word diakonia is a general word as well. The same word is used um, for the entire church um, in every believer for their gifting. All spiritual gifts, every one of the spiritual gifts, even if you, quote, don't have the gift of serving per se, all spiritual gifts are to be used in serving one another. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ your giftedness, whatever God has given you in my life for yours, serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So you can't say this this morning. Okay, Brent, I don't have the gift of serving, so I'm just checking out right now. That's not the case at all. Every believer that God has gifted, and who is that? Every believer that God has gifted, who is that? All of us, okay? Every believer that God has gifted is to engage in using their gift to serve, okay? If you are born again from heaven, then you should dance the choreography of heaven. My life, my giftedness for you. You say, Brent, that's not natural. Oh, folks, I understand. I, I grew up not being a servant to my dad, and I could have learned so much more. I could have come alongside my dad to help him so much more and spread his mission of helping people. I could have done that if I had just been more mindful of the choreography of heaven than the choreography of hell, my life for me. So it's not natural, but I say to you this. If you are born from heaven, that means you're no longer born from earth. And what is the motivation that, tra- that transforms us? So that's the second question. What power transforms us into servants? If you will, please, as I'm going to take a drink. If you will, please turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verses 15 through 29. 
Thank you, David, for the drink of water. <clears throat> that was a servant. That was a servant um, task right there. That um, Pastor David was functioning in my life, his water for me. Okay. <laughs> Turned so Luke chapter twenty-two, verses fifteen through twenty-nine, page sixty-six on the back section of the Bible in the chair in front of you. Now, this passage of scripture occurs on the night before Jesus' death. Okay. The night before Jesus' death on the cross, and the cross will be the display of the ultimate dance in the choreography of heaven. And in this passage, the term servant or serving, our word diakonia, is used three times here. Okay? Luke chapter 22, verse 15. And he, we're talking about Jesus, said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Less than probably 12 hours from this point in time, he would be... Um, on the cross. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We're not done yet. But look up here for just a moment. This is my body. The, where, where is Jesus from, heaven or earth? Where is Jesus from, heaven or earth? The resources of heaven given for you. The resources of heaven come down to serve you, render aid of, for your greatest issue, for your greatest need. Okay? Verse 20. And in the same way, he took the cup. And after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you, given for you, poured out for you, my life for you, heaven's resources for humanity. This cup is, which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. After Jesus Christ just describes and symbolizes the choreography of heaven, um, he tells the disciples that one of them will betray him that night and the disciples arguing, start to argue about who it will be, and then it leads to who is greatest. As Jesus Christ vividly illustrates the choreography of heaven, the disciples begin to dance the choreography of hell, my life for me. Who is the greatest? Look at verse 24. And there arose a dispute among them as to which one of them was to be the greatest, my life for me. And he said to them, Guys, you know that the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. Benefactors. Now, a benefactor, technically speaking, is somebody who benefits you. Okay? Um, but this is used in a sarcastic way here. In that time frame, the elites, the powerful, the powerful those who were the rulers of the of the government and the culture in that day, they were labeled benefactors, although they did not benefit anybody but themselves. They used their power and authority and their elite position to rule over the people and oppress the people rather than benefit them. And sarcastically, they were given this term, quote, benefactors. Okay? So, 
verse 26, this is not the way it should be with you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. There's our word. Verse 27, Christ then gives the illustration. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? When you're enjoying a feast, who is the greater? The people at the feast, and they have servants all around them serving. Those servants are the least of the people. The people who are feasting are the great in the world's terms. Christ acknowledges that this is the way of the world, and he says this. Is it not the one who reclines at the table who is the greatest? But I, okay, tell me this again. Tell me this again. Where is Christ from, heaven or earth? I who am greater, okay, I who am greater, come down from heaven, am among you as the one who is serving you. That's the choreography of heaven. You, who, you are those who have stood by me in trials, and just as my Father who has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may, this is an amazing statement, that you may eat at my table. Let's look briefly at three ways that the resources of heaven, I, I mentioned this at the beginning, the resources of heaven, dance the dance of heaven, the choreography of heaven, my life for yours, has the resources of heaven or the resource of heaven, Jesus Christ has become the servant of mankind, transforming us into his servants and accomplishing the mission of God. Number one is this. The resource of heaven, Jesus Christ, creates a new community of servants, a new covenant family. There's an insight here in the text that is easy to miss in the disciples' celebration of the Passover meal with Jesus. Now, this is fairly logical, but... uh, um, I didn't get this insight until I heard a sermon by Tim Keller on this. Um, when you have religious holidays, with whom do you spend your holidays? When you have holidays, with whom do you have? Ho- with whom do you spend your holidays? It's family, right? It's family. Well, the Jewish holiday of Passover was no different. From the time the Passover meal was established, it was to be celebrated in family units. You can read about that in the book of Exodus. And in this case, Jesus Christ was pulling the disciples away from their family gatherings, which is entirely unique. We have no record of Scripture of any of the disciples or spouses or the, chi- the disciples' children or spouses that were present. I mean, think of... I think it's Leonardo da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper. If you think about the famous artwork of the Last Supper, do you see any uh, rowdy children in the artwork? Do you, do you see that? Say no. <laughs> no. I, the Apostle Peter is not trying to get his child there in the artwork to eat bitter herbs of the Passover. The children weren't there. Spouses weren't there. What's the significance of this? When Jesus said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you, with you, and the cup which is poured out for you is the, a new covenant in my blood, new, and I have granted that you may eat and drink at my table. This is astounding. What, else, what does all this mean? Well, Christ is creating a new family on that night. He is setting up a new type of people. 
The majestic, glorious God had in, has invited his people into his family, his kingdom. Uh, and imagine the astounding nature of that for just a moment, being invited into the most majestic, kingly family of all time. Many of us can never imagine being invited to the White House, sitting down at a meal. Uh, this is not a political statement in any way. But, and many of you can never imagine being invited to the British royal family and sitting at their table and say, more than that, I want you to be part of the royal family. Well, you'll have all the privileges of royalty. Royal majesty does not come and invite the lowly into the family. They are benefactors who lord it over the peasants. That's what they do. They don't invite them into the family. They have servants to serve. But here, heaven comes down to earth. The resources of heaven come down to earth. And with these 12 uneducated and untrained disciples, the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, says, you are my family now. Dine with me. What love, humility, grace is that? Furthermore, when you are part of a family, you begin to take on the characteristics of a family, right? And I have a great pleasure. Uh, um, I don't deserve this in any way, but my son is a worship director here at Faith Church. When you go over to Faith East, he's the worship director over there. So I had the great privilege of training my son in ministry um, through the seminary that the church supports, and now um, he's part of the church staff. And so here, what happens many times is many of you are getting to know my son just a little bit more. Um, some people will say, well, Brent, when he does that, he, he reminds me of you. Or when he does this, he reminds us of Janet. Children take on the characteristics of their family. Likewise, we will take on the characteristic of our spiritual pa- parent as well. Number two, the resource of heaven, Jesus, molds us into a new mindset of service. My life for yours. Again, going back to the Passover meal in Jewish history, the Passover meal always featured as part of its main course the Passover lamb. Read about this in Exodus chapter 12. (coughs) If you remember in the book of Exodus, and it's okay if you don't, if you're new to the Bible and you're not familiar with the story, Let me just briefly give you a few hints at the story. But if you remember in the book of Exodus, a lamb had to be slaughtered and its blood placed on the doorway of the house. This was so that the death angel that God had sent would pass over the family and not kill the firstborn of the family. And this was on the night when God was moving against his people's oppressors to rescue them from Egypt. So if you wanted to be saved on that night, whether you're Egyptian or Jew, it did not matter the race, Egyptian or Jew, you had to take shelter, here it is, under the blood of the Lamb. All of that was picturing something. Now, question for you. In the passage that we read, Jesus mentioned the bread that was part of the meal, right? Say right. He mentioned the bread, okay? Jesus mentioned the wine, right? Where was the lamb? 
Oh, the lamb was sitting at the table is right in front of them. To illustrate, though, what he was doing, he does reach for the bread and he breaks it and says, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he reaches for the cup and he says, this cup is poured out okay, in order to make you into this new family, a new community that will have a different way of life than the world. I, Jesus, from heaven, the one who is greater, have to go first in this new mindset I came down from heaven to dance the choreography of heaven, my life for yours. And in this way, the glory of heaven, the prime resource of heaven has come down to come alongside of humanity, to meet its greatest need to serve you, to render humanity aid which you could not have had without the resource of heaven. I am your servant. I am your true benefactor. Not just using that word ultimately in a sarcastic sense. I did not come to lord it over you. I came to serve you. When we understand that, it transforms us. And in doing precisely that, the resource of heaven, Jesus, transforms the significance and the glory and the weightiness of what it means to be a helper, a servant, and aid. He says, I, the one who am greater, has come down, and I am among you as one who serves. And in doing that, he has transformed service to be something from lowliness to something that is glorious. When you think of the glory of God, what do you think of? When you think of the glory of God, you may think of this, like the brilliance of a thousand million watt light bulbs. Maybe that's what you think of when you think of the glory of God. His majestic, brilliant splendor, radiating light, or his wisdom to know all things. Or maybe you think of the glory of God as his unlimited power to control all things, to spin galaxies in his hands. According to this, The glory of God is none of that, ultimately. The greatest glory of God is Jesus Christ who serves. Jesus Christ who is heaven's resources that that has come down to man to assist man in his greatest problem, alienation from God because of his sin. And Jesus, dancing the choreography of heaven, his life for ours has exchanged his humiliation, so that we might be exalted. His aloneness on the cross for you to be part of a community, to be never alone again. His being crushed so that you might be made whole. Oh, what service and help that is. His being a man of sorrow so that you could have eternal joy. His righteousness for your sin. Here it is, folks. Heaven's, heaven's service for us heals those who trust in him. This is service, and this is glory, and this is love. And when you and I get this and experience this, it binds us into a community of, of folks that are corporately together saying to the world and to the community, my life, our life for yours. 
transforming God's people into a different kind of people, a countercultural community that values and exalts and lives out service, my life for yours. And that kind of community is precisely what our world needs to bring hope to a world that lives in my life for me. Now, I could preach more and more in describing the gift of service or the way that we as believers should be using all of our gifts, my life for you mentality. Let's, however, do this. Um, Let's incarnate this, meaning flesh it out. I have asked Mike and Kim Stefanik to give their testimony because Mike and Kim Stefanik are, Mike is a deacon, and um, Mike and Kim go over to Faith Church West and I've noticed them several times just serving behind the scenes joyfully. And I wanted to give honor to them, and I want you to hear their testimony as well. So please watch this video. Good morning. Psalm 102a says to serve the Lord with gladness. I am Mike Stefanik. I am Kim Stefanik, (coughs) and we want to share with you this morning about our passion for serving others. I serve as a deacon and lead the men's prayer breakfast cooking team when Men of Faith takes place at the North End Community Center. I serve in the mentor ministry and the nursery, and together we serve hospitality dinners at the Vyers. Which is also part dinner for us, too, at the Vyers. We also serve at Faith West VBS, Coordinators, Living Nativity Servants, Refreshment Team, and the Children's Sunday School at 930. A lot of what we do is serving behind the scenes to facilitate the overarching ministry goals of the church's evangelism and discipleship. For example, cooking for the Men of Faith breakfast (coughs) enables me to make sure that the men have a full stomach so that they can then settle in for the greater spiritual feast of learning how to be God's kind of man. Another example, for many of the frontline servants to share the gospel with the kids during VBS, someone has to do all the -the behind-the-scenes coordination. We enjoy doing that. When we help with the hospitality dinners at the Vyers, we serve with the preparation and cleanup of the meals in hopes that others may focus on building significant relationships. We are okay most of the time serving behind the scenes without being noticed, but Pastor Oakwin noticed us and asked us to now be in the spotlight, speaking to you about the gift of service. On the day that each of us came to know Christ, God did not send down from heaven a spiritual birth certificate with our names on it and a label that said, Kim and Mike have the spiritual gift of service. The more we heard, study God's word, and attempted to grow in Christ's likeness, we simply gravitated to more and more service out of obedience. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Before Christ, I was always more interested in what others could do for me. I was definitely serving, but only myself. This hard attitude can still happen, so we need to stay on guard. I was an only child and by nature very self-centered. I need to be super mindful that all gifts come from God, and I am to steward them for His glory and not mine. As we began serving, it was wherever there was a need. We especially enjoyed serving together as husband and wife. It helps us grow together in Christ. Together as we face the needs, we seek to rely on God, and together our trust in Him grows. The many service opportunities drive us to spend time in prayer together asking how we can better meet needs. And there are always so many opportunities to praise the Lord and together we seek to be thankful for the fruit we see. This brings our heart closer to Him. Even though we serve a lot behind the scenes, serving helps build community. We make friends and get to know folks we would not have another opportunity to otherwise. 
It is an honor, privilege, and humbling to see God's people come together. We are just two of many servants. We have always appreciated that about faith, something not to take for granted. As we serve, we learn to put others first and love through actions, not just words. This is the way that Christ has modeled. Serving helps us grow in love, humility, and faithfulness in the Spirit. It brings great joy to our lives, and hopefully that is reflected in how we serve. We have come to know the heart of Christ better as we serve the needs of others. Adopting His mindset, the least shall be the greatest, and the greatest of you shall be your servant. And John 3.30 says, He must increase, I must decrease. Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus' service cost his life. I believe we're getting off easy. Doing his will for his glory brings a great satisfaction of knowing it pleases him. Thankful for Mike and Kim and thankful for the many servants here at Faith Church. Um, The heart of Christ, which is... um, Heaven's resources come down to serve mankind in our greatest need. What a glorious thing. So a servant's um, lowly servant is not a menial thing. It's ultimately the highest glorification at all. My dad sought to give his life for others in serving. As a teen, if I had done that for my dad, in the way that we've been talking about this morning, my life for yours, dad, I could have helped him to achieve his mission in a far greater way lived out significant purpose in my life the way that God intended. Imagine a family of servants, and it's not hard for us to imagine here at Faith Church, there's so many, but imagine a family of committed servants who have the mentality, my life for yours, and how that would transform our communities and accomplish the mission that God has given us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for your beautiful dance of heaven the choreography of heaven, my life for yours, and how you have ingrained that in the DNA of the universe so that it functions when we're doing that in a way that is beautiful and harmonious. And thank you for modeling that as you sent your son to do that precisely for us. And will you help us to gaze upon that more intently, to be impacted by that in the gospel of Jesus Christ so that that permeates all of our spiritual DNA and transform us into his image. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.